1: the book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great advantage for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness... And if you do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the reality management worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they engage the use of these tools actively in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate it if you would do so. You can either do so by calling in live at 563-999-3581, and press 1 on your phone. Or you can send an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. Or you can email Jeannie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org. That's whyagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. And if we get an email with a comment or a question or a testimonial from you, we will address that on the Internet show, And then, as time allows, send you a notice about what day and time that was discussed, and you can listen back to the archives to get access to the input. And, as I like to say, we appreciate when people do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention with this work is to be of service, and if you will let us know how these topics and choice of book sharings and worksheet processes and discussions are landing for you and or what would be of more value to you, that will make it far easier for us to live into that intention with that work. I've gotten several nice compliments about the interview with Laura McGowan that is available either on YouTube, if you go to YouTube and search for org or JourneysDream and Laura McGowan. You can listen or watch the video. If you go to OnYourMindPodcast.org, you can listen to the podcast audio and or see the transcript. And as I mentioned the other day, we are working completely on word of mouth with that these days there is no budget to promote that in that non-profit at this time and so we appreciate it whenever anybody decides to share that uh, with friends or family or on their social media feed that's a discussion around her first two books her second book released this year her first book was titled We Are the Luckiest and is basically a memoir of her struggle with alcohol addiction and her um, her path to building a healthy, vibrant life. And her second book is titled Push Off from Here. And it's a deeper dive explanation of the nine statements that she said she wished people had told her this soon and often as she was early in the in the process of recovery from alcohol abuse so and as i mentioned from time to time um, we enjoy when people listen to those podcasts and give us feedback and we're also looking for suggestions If you have a favorite um, podcast that you listen to or a favorite spiritual teacher or a favorite book that's really helped you in your life, if you would be so kind as to let us know, let me know, Give, give us the recommendation and I will do what I can to reach out to that person or those people and see if we can't them to agree to an interview again the journeys dream non-for-profit is it's doing a variety of things and one of the things it's doing is to try to help rewrite the narrative in this country the narrative on mental health from whatever it is as this major problem and as that you've tapped into or a self-help guru that's really helps turn your life around and you would be so kind as to share that thought with us, it would be appreciated. Again, you can do that through calling in live at 563-999-3581 or you can do that through the email at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n.org. I am looking forward to doing another interview this afternoon with Dr. Bradley Nelson on his new book, the Body Code, which is a follow-up to his book, The Emotion Code, and if you are interested in things like that, his book, The Emotion Code, I interviewed him a couple of years ago on that, and um, that interview is also available at onyourmindpodcast.org. So I'm going to turn to the uh, book A Walk in the Physical and the essays um, in that book. Yesterday I read the short essay on how whatever you experience, whatever events occur in your life is a goldmine for you. And in order to extract the value from the events that unfold, in and around your life you must surrender to it and surrender to the flow of life rather than your ideas around it and judgments around it and when I say that one of the next essays is relinquishing judgment that's essay number 38 and it reads, judgment pervades our society. We constantly label, categorize, and place blame. When something that we deem bad happens, we quickly seek to identify who's at fault. The ego is deeply attached to the idea that there are enemies somewhere out in the world. In truth, there is no enemy. There is never truly an enemy. All of us are integrally, integrally, spiritually connected to one another. We may be currently entertaining the deep illusion of separation, but nevertheless, fundamentally, We are all individuated facets of the same great spirit. How can there ever be an enemy when the person who appears to us to be other than us is always a part of us? Those among us who are acting hurtfully are simply doing so out of ignorance caused by being on this side of the veil, ignorance of their own undiminishable power, ignorance of their own inherent worthiness, ignorance of the unspeakable love that they are and that exists for them. Everyone who acts hurtfully is suffering themselves. They are suffering for lack of love in their own internal experience. There is no lack of love, but they've created the belief of separation, the dream of separation, and therefore they've created a personal experience of being without love. And that dream they're in, that hallucination they're in, that belief that they are without love has prompted them to act out of fear. So the question arises, can you forgive your brother and sister who is suffering just as you have suffered? And in this case, the word forgive is what Michael Rice would call pardon. Can you pardon them? Can you let them off the hook for suffering just as you have suffered? Can you pardon them for being afraid? Can you have compassion for them for being afraid when you realize you've been in fear before and you've been afraid before and you've been operating from the dreamless separation and you've done nasty, angry, hurtful, insulting things to other people? The invitation here is to relinquish your need to place blame or to be right And that's the core of the Reality Management Worksheet process, is that I cancel my need to be right, I cancel the goal I have, I cancel all the thoughts that I pour my mind energy into and release myself from the emotions that that creates and ask to be shown something else. So the invitation is to relinquish your need to place blame or be on the side of, of what is right Because the sense of empowerment one may gain in doing so is only a false illusion set up by the ego. It's a fake security. The ego may proclaim, I now have the power over the situation because I have identified the cause of my duress. Or the ego might say, I now affirm that I am good and justified because of the group I belong to or any other personal justification of power. But such proclamations are illusions. And like all illusions of the ego, they are created to give us a false sense of comfort, which we often embrace wholeheartedly, rather than facing our fears and feeling our discomforts. You do not need the securities of the ego, including the security that judgment seems to provide. The truth stands firm and strong, always. You are loved, you are cherished, you are divine, and so is the person next to you. That truth, when actually recognized, is far more comforting than the false comfort that any egoic judgment may provide. What's that truth that's far more comforting than judgment? We come from love, we're made of love, we are love, and so is everyone and everything we interact with, and every other judgment and conclusion is false. So, this actually evolved in the conversation with Laura McGowan, and I heard myself saying something I don't think I've ever heard before, but it had to do with um, abstaining from judgment, viewing judgment as one of the addictions we have. We've become addicted to judging. We've been so programmed to judge we actually believe we need to judge how could we accomplish anything if we don't judge and yet great great spiritual teachers for thousands of years have been trying to shine the light of awareness for us onto what happens when we judge in The Way of Mastery, it says, whenever you judge, it's so disruptive that literally the cells in your body do not function properly. The Way of Mastery says, if you understood what happens whenever you judge, you would never judge again. Krishnamurti, and his teachings, would talk about the essential improvement in our lives that happens when we learn to live in direct observation, when we learn to live in the question, rather than judging, rather than arguing about what's right or wrong. But seeing the truth of it and staying open is This is the option of here are the consequences you get with judging and here are the consequences you get when you stay open and live in the question. Really argue about what's right and what's wrong and to have the right answer. And, to, and, and we're talking about it in the support group too that, that some of us are actually terrified about canceling our need to be right because we were literally punished as children, whether at home and or at school, whenever we got something wrong. So part of this drive to be right is an actual fear, that unconscious fear of being punished if we don't get it right. And so we talk about how if I'm going to learn anything, Guy Finley says, if I'm going to learn any, something from a situation or another person, I have to make myself subordinate to that from which I would learn or from whom I would learn. My way of saying it is I have to be, go into a situation with the direct observation that I don't know everything. And then the next observation by extension is, so whatever it is I think I know is either only partially true and perhaps even completely false. One of the things that came across my awareness this morning was the revelation of quantum spin liquid now, how many of you know about quantum spin liquid and its effects and its characteristics and what it might be used for? Before this morning in the article I read in, from Popular Science, I had no idea. So it's easy for me, the more I practice this, to realize that I clearly don't know much of anything and I I benefited greatly from the way of mastery as we were reading it last year and it's because I've read it for years with the exercise that has me pick up something and remind myself and I mean by something I mean any object on my desktop any object when I'm out at a restaurant and if I'm at my house or a friend's house pick up any object whether it's a knick-knack on a shelf or a, a tool in the kitchen, and just realize, spend some time realizing, I don't know where this thing came from. I don't know who had the first idea for a can opener. I don't know where this metal or plastic or combination of metal or plastic came from or how it was put together or who designed it. or. And the more I engaged that exercise the more i softened to the idea that i'm not really that knowledgeable right i'm i'm like a babe in the woods right i am constantly bumping up against things that i don't understand and that bump is more like Into a soft plush cushion when I acknowledge that I don't know it and it's more like falling on a sharp stick when I try and say I'm right and this situation is wrong it's very uncomfortable for me I don't know about anybody else but for me I'm very uncomfortable whenever I'm so to speak butting heads with somebody over an issue which is why I get so much benefit from the God response. That I gave a talk on the God response years ago, and it was, what's the God response? The God response is simply a one-word response. Whatever happens, the God response is, okay, you want to be depressed, and you've got validation for it, and you want to argue for your depression. Life, the flow of life, Love, the creation itself says, okay, you can create more depression. You want to flip that around and create joy? You can create joy. You have this creative force that we call mind energy. Somebody wants to say they don't believe what I'm talking about? My response is, okay. I don't feel compelled any longer to try to convince somebody that I'm right and they're wrong. Why? Because... I keep learning more and more about how divergent our actual experiences are, how, how divergent even our perceptions are. Some people may have seen this thing on the Internet a few years ago where there was a dress, and the question was, is this dress you know, black and gold or blue and yellow or whatever? And people argued extensively over what color the dress actually was. Well, I saw that on the Internet and I gave it a little bit of credence, but I didn't have that experience. I didn't go down the rabbit hole of, you know, telling people what I saw and trying to find somebody that I actually trusted would tell me the truth and see if they could see a different color. I didn't do that. But a couple months ago, we had a family gathering and my sons brought out a card game a role-playing card game with all kinds of designs on it and colors. And and they started explaining to me how the red cards mean this and and the black cards mean that. And they would hand me a card and say, this is a red card because you can see the red color in this circle here. And what I saw in that circle was a bright yellow color. So, Because the game had lots of different facets to it and there were all kinds of other things on the card, I thought maybe I was missing something. Maybe there was a red token or thread somewhere on the border or something. But eventually, after we were playing the game for a while and they kept saying that, I said, let me just interrupt the game and ask you, are you saying that this looks red to you? And they said, yeah, why? And I said, because it's yellow to me. And they they were so convinced that I was just pulling their leg that my younger son pulled up his phone and searched for a color blindness test and insisted I take it. So I answered all the questions on the colorblind test and the result was normal color vision and he couldn't believe it. Then they went back to thinking that I was just pulling their leg. And that's when I remembered this Thing about the dress on the internet meme and I said no what the scientists are telling us is that we can't really predict how this shows up for another person and we have these kinds of misperceptions all the time but they don't cause any friction because we slide right by them or it's on something that we don't think is as significant and also many of the head-butting arguments we have are over just such misperceptions. And that's the core of this work, to understand I'm actually creating my experience of life by how I choose to focus my conscious awareness moment to moment, by the interpretations I choose to place on the flow of life, and by how I choose to interpret and respond to the events, the flow of life itself. So somehow I feel like I've just gone down a rabbit hole or veered too far away from what I was reading, so I'm going to back up and review Oh yes, the idea of relinquishing judgment. So the point is, judgment seems to give us a sense of strength and being solid and safety. And yet, as this essay says, you do not need those securities, the securities of the ego that are this perceived strength and safety. You don't need this, the perceived security that judgment provides because your true nature is infinite, infinitely strong, infinitely loving, infinitely growing and learning and expanding, infinitely safe in each new present moment, And if you can remove enough of the negative impressions and trauma energies and negative beliefs from your history of thought on on the planet this time around, if you can remove enough of those, you will get easier and easier access to the truth behind these words. right this the words at the end of this essay are you are loved you are cherished you are divine and so is the person next to you and you know the, the the fact of the matter is most of the people i work with in therapy they don't realize that they've got too many negative experiences and trauma patterns and false beliefs we know they're false because they're negative that they hold on to that block them from seeing their true nature. And everything about the work that Michael and Jeannie promote here, everything about the mind shifter support groups, is to provide people with awareness of this and then the tools for dismantling anything that's less than love from their energy system, from their recurrent thought patterns and beliefs, and to open people to a process that allows them to live in the observation, live in the question, and grow and learn things with greater ease. So we're hopeful that you're tapping into the use of these tools and that you're actually, whether it's one worksheet at a time, one EFT tapping session at a time, one breath session at a time, that you're removing pieces of the negative beliefs, negative thought patterns, and trauma energies that all of us have, that we all carry with us into each moment. The next essay I was going to read is titled, Thinking as Distinguished from Being. And I know I've read this before, but it was as a part of another Um, collection of essays. But this essay reads, When you are thinking, you are lost in a dream of form. When you are being, you just are. It reminds me of an interview I saw. I think it was with Maya Angelou. And she talked about how after she faced this fear of death that she had, when she realized that death is the one promise that is going to be kept and she isn't going to get away from it, and then she dismantled her fear around that, then she was able to just be fully present in every moment and bring all of herself right to this moment. And the interviewer, said, Well that's didn't da- now just notice the filter on this interviewer. Well that's dangerous is it isn't it? Because if you go into every moment thinking it's just this moment, then you're just gonna take, take, take and have no no thought of the consequences. And my Angela said, Wow, no, it's the opposite for me. When I bring when I'm fully present in the moment, I bring all of myself to this moment and I'm giving all I have, every moment. And I'm not thinking about giving it. I'm just there, interacting, asking to be shown. She didn't say that, but this is how I'm I'm blending this in with our work. So Essay 41 is titled, Thinking as Distinguished from Being. And it says, again, when you're thinking you're lost in a dream of form. When you're being, you just are. No distinctions are necessary, no judgments are necessary, and all possibilities actually exist. The intent to dwell, quote, in the now, close quotes, is often referred to as being, quote, present, close quotes. Being present is like looking at a sunset and fully experiencing its beauty in the moment. You're simply being present with the experience rather than quantifying or judging the experience with thought. It reminds me of a John Mayer song where he says, you know, um, you should have seen this sunrise with your own eyes. I didn't have a camera. I was just there. Right? I wasn't thinking of taking a picture of it to send it to people I love like you. I just, I was just there. So you should have seen the sunrise with your own eyes. And the next time, we'll do it together. But how much of our lives is spent I need a selfie of this. I need a picture of this. I need to text somebody and, and make sure that they tune into this. I, it's just we're constantly thinking and therefore lost in a dream of form. And it's a very fruitful exercise to practice just being. That's, in, in essence, what meditation has as one of its best benefits. So, tenth to dwell in the now is often referred to as being present. Being present is looking at the sunset and just soaking it in, not getting lost in the thoughts of comparing it to other sunrises or sunsets you've experienced. Not thinking about who you wish was there with you to experience it alongside of you or who you can send a picture to you're simply being present with the experience you're not judging it you're not comparing it you're not lost in thought about it you're just in the moment the sunset admirer does not begin to think you know that sunset sunset should have more pink in it or more purple or more red the moment that I'm thinking about it, and the moment that I'm judging it, I'm not there experiencing it fully anymore. This essay goes on and says, God, light, love, etc., often reaches out to us, speaks to us far more clearly in simple presence than in thoughts and judgments. There's a, a story in the Pierre Pratervin book Or he was on a plane and he had dysentery, he had quite a bit of stomach upset, and there was an interaction going on between people near him that he tapped into and it was just so loving that he basically had an out-of-body experience. He was just so wide open, triggered by whatever got resonated in him and what he made this interaction between these other people mean, that he had an experience, one of those life-changing experiences that seemed to go on forever and, and may have only been you know, a few seconds or minutes. And, and in that moment, that was such a powerful moment experience for him that he still remembers it. He still hearkens back to it. He still derives benefit from it. It was a life-changing moment because these moments are eternal. These moments are outside of time. The essay goes on and says, if you slow down the momentum of your thoughts and you go far enough into the present moment and allow yourself to completely surrender to it, say without judgment, I say in total allowance. You will find that rather than nothing being there, everything is there, including all of you. You'll find your awareness exists beyond the boundaries of your body and that you can experience your being that transcends your entire physical identity and all of its thoughts and judgments. That's what happened to Pierre Pratervin and dozens of other people I've read over the years who've had powerful, life-changing moments, timeless moments. The essay goes on. The only things that separate you from the native transcendence are the thoughts, judgments, and beliefs that you have decided to cling to and formalize over time. How and why do we do that? because we were kids and we were taught by our parents and our culture and our families. And as I mentioned earlier, sometimes because we were punished if we didn't jump into thought and reach the right conclusion or give the answer that the teacher or the parent wanted. And so we're very well trained with some memory of some rather severe consequences if we don't stay in judgment and thought and comparison. This present moment, the last paragraph in this essay reads, this present moment, this very moment right now, the great depths of your own being are available to you. While the momentum of your thoughts and judgments may be great, and they may seem to keep you far from being fully aware, recognize that anytime you can take a step away from the thoughts, and toward the awareness of the present moment itself, you become able to access the great depths of your own being. And as the Way of Mastery talks about in the third lesson, it says forgiveness is the act of dismantling false perceptions that you project on yourself and others and every time you dismantle those false perceptions you take yourself deeper into the purity of your own consciousness my eye and ear is saying that's exactly what's being said here this present moment this very moment right now the great depths of your own being are available to you the momentum of your thoughts is powerful But the minute you step back from it, you can access the great depths of your own being. You can take yourself deeper into the purity of your own consciousness when you're not projecting negative interpretations of life's events onto the flow of life. Your pain wants to be heard very very short essay number 42 and it echoes what i was just listening to this morning in the book by dr bradley nelson so many people that use the emotion code and the body code have learned that when they get an ache or a pain and they do their energetic work or their emotional work they They're very glad that they had the pain because now they've released something. Now they've gotten rid of something. Now they've avoided something even worse. Dr. Michael Rice says the purpose of pain is to metaphorically make your ears grow, to get you to listen, that there's a problem. And the problem is somewhere inside you. It's not outside of you. So this essay reads, when pain shows up at your door, let it in. You do not need to fear it. Guy Finley says, psychological and emotional pain is not your enemy. Fear of it prevents you from seeing this truth. You do not need to fear your pain. It is not necessary to open your door and go looking for pain to let it in, nor is it necessary to be excited that pain has showed up at your door. And when it shows up, open the door. Let it walk in and be with it. Let it be your guest. Listen to the story it wants to tell you. Be a good listener. Drop the judgment. Move into allowance. When pain has shared all that it meant to express, being empty of anything else to say, it will leave you happily, often never to return. So we have some time left about 15 minutes 14 15 minutes our calling number is 563 999 3581 If you call that number and press 1 like Susan Bingham did we can have a conversation welcome Susan Hey
2: Ellen sent me this morning these little quotes, which fit right in with what you've been reading and talking about. <clears throat> this one is a tiny poem by Rumi. It's called "Ill." If you desire healing, let yourself fall ill. Let yourself fall ill. And then Dietrich Walzak wrote something similar. He said. Let myself fall ill. Allow my feelings to rise. Become aware of all negative grievance feelings. If I do not, I'll never know what belief still needs to be transformed. Oh, I exactly. I thought
1: would right in. Great. Exactly. Yep.
2: Boy, oh boy. This is great stuff. Uh... And it's, it's synchronicity again. Uh, this morning I got a call from my older sister who is 84 now. And she says, Sue, I'm tired. She says, I'm happy. I'm letting things go. And I don't mind the idea of dying. I kind of welcome it. I feel fine. But I am struggling. And her daughter was with her. She, she has two children, a daughter and a son. And her son has been bipolar for years and lives on the very edge of homelessness and goes into these periods of belligerent unwellness where he thinks everybody is horrible and he's got to move and he's got to get rid of his neighbors. And he projects, basically, it's a it's a terrible illness that he has. <clears throat> she said this time around, I got exhausted. I just couldn't take it. I just ended up watching and listening and watching to what was happening to him. And I knew I didn't have the juice to deal with any of it. So I called Fawn, who is her daughter, and Fawn flew in from Colorado. And Fawn is making all kinds of arrangements for if he'll go, hospitalization. But my sister is basically saying What Wasn't that poem of Rumi, uh, even if it comes in and wrecks all your furniture and takes all your furniture, welcome it in? I forget that wonderful other poem. I think it was Rumi. My sister said, I'm just watching this, and I'm just tired enough to be allowing it and letting it all happen and watching to see what happens, but I'm not undone by it. In a way, she has reached a kind of, Enlightenment, and I think that's one of the blessings of getting older. Is
1: well, to allow it's a it's a potential, right? Because clearly, not everybody who gets older does it. <laughs> some, some people yeah. who get older, <laughs> they fight, they kick, they scream, they you know, they have they build resentments about what didn't get accomplished in their life, et cetera. But this right. can be one of the benefits.
2: Mm -hmm. of, Of the
1: wisdom of age
2: Yeah That's true And I've also been thinking about how We've been looking for housing options For Michael who lives with us He Watched a video about A man who had been living in his van For years and Gave all the reasons why he can no longer do that I'm not sure I've told you About this before tell me if I have I don't want to repeat
1: About what about about
2: Michael living in a van van and how he no longer wanted to do it and Michael's been wanting to get a van trade his SUV for a bigger van so he could live in it and Michael texted me and said you know what I can't do that I'm not going to try to get a van I can't do that which I thought was a tremendous breakthrough because part of him has been not finding a van and I'm wondering is that is that because he doesn't want the van or they really aren't available? I have no way of knowing. But he said, I guess I have to find a room somewhere, just a place where I could be. So we're, we've shifted gears a little and we're exploring housing options for him nearby and also down near my daughter. But the lesson for me is I feel as if I'm finally allowing Michael to do what he needs to do, and the judging part has been much uh, alleviated, too. I, I haven't felt as if I need to judge him for doing this or that around the house. and um, That power essay you read has had real effect. I can say to him, these are the things that need doing around here. And I don't want to do them, and you don't want to do them, but you're, you're paying rent here, so you've got to do them if you will. And he said, sure, I will. He's very willing. He isn't enterprising on finding things to do, but I've gotten up enough nerve to be able to say, how about this, and I'll put the vacuum cleaner out, or how about that? And he's willing. And so a lot has kind of loosened up. He's been a like a human lesson book us, Tim and me here, and it, it, all of this coincides with that wonderful interchange you had with Laura McGowan. I thought it was just, as I wrote to you, a dialogue, lots of good give and take and excitement and energy, so you got all worked up because you thought you talked too much. Well, it, unusual interview, but it sort of like was a dialogue and a delicious
1: one. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I wasn't I wasn't all worked up over it. I just thought as I listened to it, boy, I wish I had just gotten quiet and let her talk more because that's about her book and her and I agree with you. It's a very nice dialogue. We I think we both enjoyed it and had fun. And yet as the as the original premise was you know, in my role as interviewer, I basically stepped out of it more into being in a dialogue with mm-hmm. her, which isn't a bad thing. It's just yeah. it wasn't what I had set out to do, and I noticed it. So
2: mm-hmm. yeah, well, she seemed to love it. And you do open it up at the end and say, is there something we missed? You know, you always do that, and I like that, that you do that. But she didn't really add anything more. It's as if you all did really cover what she would have wanted to say
1: on her own so well but she she did she went back to the idea of the uh our need to be seen and heard yeah and um and and it and it gave me an opportunity to pipe up again which (laughs) which i wish (laughs) that's one i wish i hadn't done but you know but it's Yeah, but you spent the whole
2: interview showing her that you were seeing and hearing her, that you had heard her book, read her book. She must have loved that.
1: Yeah, I I think that...
2: I know as a composer, uh, if somebody talks to me about a piece I've written in some detail, I think that is the most generous thing they could have done, is to listen to it. Anyway you were saying
1: got it i'm i'm in it. i'm i'm agreeing with you i think she did enjoy it i think that you know it it was a really good interview and both people don't enjoy it it's probably not a really good interview <laughs> and <laughs> well,
3: you know and that and
1: that's and 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 clearly that same kind of thing happened with uh the pierre prater band. or he wouldn't have had his people reach out to have me interview him again for his next book so um.
2: So glad for you that he's doing
1: that. That is great. Yeah, that, that that'll happen a week from Monday. We'll do that, and I'm okay. I'm you know already reading the the preview copy of the book that they were kind enough to send mm-hmm. me. So. Mm. Mm. And of course, it's a, a little bit different than his first two books, or the the two books he's written. Many more more books than this, but the yeah. the two books that we've talked about um and that is because um it's about discerning what your own individual spiritual path is. Mhm. You know, it's about yeah. not just the general art of blessing, but it's about a very thoughtful review of how people get and they fall into traps, and what, what happens with religion, and and it's very much in line with what Michael and Jeannie promote here, which is you need to tap into your inner guidance, right? Spirit, God, light, love, truth, whatever, you kucha is available to everyone. And that's essentially what the heart of this book is, is to figure out how... Everyone can do that, and what are the warning signs for I might be off the mark? Again, the title of the book, if anybody wants to pre-order it, is The Gentle Art of Spiritual Discernment, subtitled Mm -hmm. A Guide to Discovering Your Personal Path, and it'll be out in in, um, like July 18th or something, but we'll have the interview before that, and after that interview is done, I will run that as an episode of, of this Mind Shifters Radio. Mm. I'll edit it down so that it, it it may be shorter than an hour, I don't know, but I'll edit it in a way where it doesn't talk all about the Journey's Dream and the On Your Mind podcast and just is an episode of the Mind Shifters Radio. Right. Because, you know, that started happening a little bit when I started my own second hour four years ago, whatever, a little over four years Mm -hmm. ago. And then about three and a half years ago, they asked me to do the Journey's Dream thing. Wow. Which has professional editing and you know, theme music and all of this other, launching it to all these different platforms. And so since then, when I've gotten, you know, high value people to interview, instead of doing it, you know, making them conform to here we are live on the MindShifters radio, so you've got to be available at this time slot, letting them tell me when they're available and me doing it through Zoom and then, you know, having it, formatted in that edit and then it's a it's a great thing for for pierre pratervan because he's in geneva switzerland so instead of it's like a six or seven hour difference and so instead Mm. of making him conform to yeah we have to be live at 11 a.m central time he can say yeah how about you just so i'm going to basically interview him at eight thirty in the morning So it's a more reasonable midday time for him. Right. So that's what's on the uh, docket coming up. I just looked at the time and realized that we have run through our hour. So thank you for your comments here at the end of the uh, hour. Thank you, Susan, as always. Thank you for the feedback on the Laura McGowan interview. That's on the onyourmindpodcast.org. And I'll meet you so you can listen into the second hour. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Welcome, Jeannie Rice.
0: Thank you, Dr. Tim. I appreciate it, and I hope you have a good rest of the day.
1: Thanks. You too have a wonderful show.
0: Thank you. So welcome everybody to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio. And today is Thursday, April the 27th, 2023. And our call in number is 563-999-3581 and press one. And that puts you into Q2 Talk and we'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And I'll invite you to go to the website, whyGin.org, and I made a couple changes. We had a section Uh, On the Beatitudes, there's actually a page that's called uh, Beatitudes Pages, so if you put whyagain.org forward slash Beatitudes, it will take you there, and that's where we did four radio shows in December of 2021 with Mark Caddis and Michael talking about the Beatitudes, and then there was another show June the 13th of 22 and June the 14th of 22 that talked about the Beatitudes. And I originally had those on Vimeo, and I've changed it over to um, being on the YouTube channel. So you can access those directly on our website, or you can go to the YouTube channel and access them there. I invite you to go to YouTube, and there's actually a little link if you're on whyagain.org. Up in the upper right corner, there's the little Facebook emblem, Vimeo, and then Tube emblem, and then there's also iHeartRadio. But if you click on the YouTube channel, it will take you directly to uh, Michael Rice, underscore Why again, and you can click on videos, and there are all kinds of videos out there uh, for you to listen to, and we have a total of 116 videos, actually, and we've got oh, well over a 1,000 subscribers now. Thank you all. We appreciate the support, and um, invite you to, okay, hold on a minute. I'm on the radio. thank you and Aria is just creating a book so she's learning how we went to the book fair yesterday that's why we weren't on the show we took a play day and Michael and I went with her to the book fair at her school and she picked out several books that she can learn to read and she's doing really good using phonics and sounding out the letters and, and coming up with words so today she said can we have another play day And I said, no, not today. I said, we've got to be live on the show. So anyway, okay, you can show Papa that. Okay, Okay, well, let me finish talking first. Wait till Papa talks, and then I'll be with you, okay? So anyway, I invite you to go to either the website or to the YouTube channel and check out some of the videos. And I had someone it was actually ended up, I believe, being kind of a fake. I always tell you all that if you find something on the website, That's not working to let me know. And so I had gotten an email from someone and they were like, I found a link on your website and it's not working and where do I send the information? And I responded and said, you can send it here to this email. And then they sent back and they gave me a link, which if I click it, it works just fine on the website. And then they proceeded to try to sell themselves and what they would like to put on their website. I was like, okay, people need a life. (laughs) So anyway, uh, but if you do find something on the website that's getting send me a note to Jeannie, J-E-A-N-I-E at org, and let me know the URL that's not working for you and I will get it fixed. And so anyway, um, if you have questions or comments, you know, we have the, I actually am in the process of going through the Google account. They've said that um, they're not sure that the app complies with all of their rules and it does but you know I guess most apps they if you have to put your name and email address in then they share that or they sell it to other people or whatever and I guess they're just trying to make sure that that's not what we're doing and I told them no we didn't sell products we didn't have ads and that uh, it was totally free and so, hopefully, all, I've answered all their questions, and they will give us approval. Otherwise, they said the app will quit working in 10 days. So, um, Michael's just on, and we do have a handout, Michael, but I'll welcome you to the show first. Awesome. Thank you, dear heart. Let's go ahead and see who's calling and what's on their mind. All right. It's area code 541. You're on the air. Who do we have? Shalinda. Hey, young lady, welcome. Oh.
3: Hello, hello. I, uh, has anybody mentioned to you that your Empowered to Heal uh, uh, program you put on yesterday uh, cut out in about 15, 10, 15 minutes, and, ne- and I never could get back on the show?
4: Have not heard that from anybody. No, I did not know that. Uh, Maybe well, if someone uh, else I was didn't... on, you could let us know if you were cut off of it, too.
0: Jeanie, oh, really? That's the second time I haven't had anybody. I, I have not had anybody say anything, and I will double check it. And um it says, "Thank you." That we'll up. I'm looking on. I'm looking at the auto clips now, and empowered. Um, I was heels. kicked well, it must have been a blog talk thing because it says that the recording is 58 minutes and 37 seconds. So it yep. should have gone the en- entire hour.
3: I tried for about 10 minutes to get back on, and uh, I couldn't yeah. even get in. Hmm.
0: That's a blog talk Crazy. thing. So I will defi- definitely let them know that there was some issue on their end. I know well, that I was they, just- they're having... And you
4: know, if anyone else has a problem, if you drop Jeannie or I a text or an email, let us know. We'll need to follow up on that with them. Not good.
3: It just it's just concerning me because that's the second time one of your programs has you know, the other one was the Aramaicisms and I thought this is really strange that you go you're getting blocked off the air during those programs. And I just wondered For sure. Because uh the one thing I have discovered for myself: the more I get into the Aramaic Gospel, the less, <clears throat> the less I'm involved with my control issues. Which means to me that I am possibly opening up to the fact that um, I am the one generating my own control, but that's counter to what the world thinks,
4: right? We definitely want to go counter to what the world thinks because most of it's insane. Just look at the results yeah, well, we're getting. <laughs> it's pretty bizarre. That's
3: a, that's a tricky balancing act, isn't it?
0: <laughs> and I just, just FYI, I went out and looked on Blog Talk on their where they record the show afterwards and it says that between Tim's show and our show that it was an hour and 54 minutes long. So that means it did play for the whole time. So I don't know. That must have just been something in the dial-in numbers or something. That, but
4: and maybe we will maybe we need to look at the second hour and see if it actually, you know, if the archive is actually I, there. I just
0: want to say you can go to the archive and, and listen to it too. Yeah. Well,
3: I can definitely do that because I'm going to go to the garden this morning. Yay!
4: (laughs) I just came in in from the garden working on the compost pile.
3: In fact, I'm in the greenhouse right now, because we're supposed to open the greenhouse up, and I'm trying to clean the pots out a little bit. So, ooh, it feels wonderful.
4: Nice, nice. Very cool. Well, anything else on your mind? Any questions about the Aramaic, or where we're going yesterday?
3: No, I just was really raptly listening to that Empowered to Heal since I bought the video that time. I wasn't able to access it on my computer, but uh, now I know why.
4: (laughs) All right, young lady, we appreciate you.
3: Yeah, I'd really like to listen to the whole thing. That would be sweet. (laughs) Okay, that's it. Thank you. All right. Blessings.
4: Blessings. All right, Miss Jeannie, anybody else in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? No, it is all quiet. No? Okay. Well, let's talk about stress a little bit. I've been doing some work, actually, in exchange with a massage therapist here locally, and... Uh, and she had just chosen to do a personal code evaluation to look at, you know, how is the mind functioning? Where are the, where are the learning points? And it was kind of an unusual evaluation because as, as I announced to her, well, the thing we need to do is get more stress for you. You don't have enough stress. And she's like, what? I have too much. Well, let's, let's look at that. And, Yeah, most people carry too much stress, but most of their stress is useless. So we actually have a workshop called Getting the Stress You Need. And the offering is that without stress, you're in deep, deep trouble because stress is what causes behavior. And the caution point is that you make sure that your stress is useful for what your purpose is and what's going on in your world at the moment. And to become a conscious creator of stress is so important. Having done many, many workshops over the years on goals and stress, I find it interesting that I have never been able to find anywhere except in the Aramaic the understanding of how stress is created and that you need stress. Without it, you're in trouble. And. You know, I've talked to people, I've done workshops where you go to a goal-setting workshop and you come out of that workshop with your daily goals, your weekly goals, your monthly goals, your semi-annual goals, your annual goal, your five-year goal, your 10-year goal, your 20-year goal, your lifetime goal. And people walk out of the workshop so loaded down with stress that, oh, yes, they're driven to get things done, but they've destroyed the, the space for joy to show up. And when you recognize that the way stress is created, you know, people talk about, oh, that was a very stressful situation. No, it's not. There's no such thing as a stressful situation. You know, we have two people in the same situation. One's going nuts because it's so stressful, the other is staying there humming away going, hmm, so what? Why is one person in stress and the other one isn't if it's a stressful situation? No, the way that stress is created is by putting a goal into the mind, which is a wonderful mechanism to understand. When you set a goal, you said to the mind, mind, I have a job for you to do. I want you to resolve this stress. In other words, give me the best information you've got to complete this goal. And once a goal is set in the mind, there are only two ways to get rid of it. You either accomplish the goal or you remove, you cancel the goal. If you don't do one of those two things, then the stress goes on and on and on and on. Literally for a lifetime. People go to bed at night and say, why won't my mind shut off? Because... You've loaded it with so much stress. You've told it you have a job for it to do. And if you're laying in bed and going gling, 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 thought after thought after thought after thought, your mind is just doing the job you gave it. What if you went to bed stress-free except for the goal to have deep, restful, regenerative sleep? And have feedback on your framed goals for the next day. We have a sheet called the Mind Goal Management Sheet, and it's about how to produce that result. And the last thing you do before you go to bed at night is you cancel every goal from every time in your life that a goal was not either accomplished or canceled. And that way you only have stresses that are useful. You know, you wouldn't know it by the way the Greeks translate the phrase. But if you go back 2,000 years ago, you hear this man, Yeshua, supposedly saying, at least the words the Greeks put in his mouth, which are totally completely in error but we hear him supposedly saying sufficient for the day are the evils thereof and you say to yourself well why would i want to have evil and what do you mean sufficient for the day what like where do you go where are you going with that if you go to the aramaic language you don't find him saying anything about being sufficient for the day or the evils thereof. What you find is he's giving you instructions on how to set your goals and in what time frame to set your goals, how to manage your mind. So the word evil in Aramaic has at least two different translations. One of them relates to the word sin. You'll recall we've told you that the word sin in Aramaic is an archery term, which means off the mark. If you put an energy that's off the mark into your tissue structure, then your tissue is going to start to decay, and that will be a disease process, and ultimately enough disease processes and people die. So when they said the wages of sin is death, that wasn't some kind of theological threat. God's going to get you for your sins. He's saying if you put enough disintegrative energy, energy that's off the mark, into your tissue structure, then your organs are going to start to break down and fail. Sufficient for the day are the evils thereof, is the second, is a pointer to the second meaning or translation of the word evil. And that is that evil means unripened. Or incomplete. So, if I have a green banana, I have a banana that, in Aramaic, I would properly call evil. If I have an over-ripened, brown, mushy, falling apart—you know, the the um, fruit flies are flying around it—that banana is evil. Not that there's anything wrong with it, it's just not ripe. Now, if I have this nice yellow with some brown specks on it, banana, that banana would be ripe. The word evil would not be used to describe it. But on either side of ripe, you've got evil. So when you understand that meaning, then you hear these words, sufficient for the day are the evils thereof, he's saying, only create stresses around your next waking period or you will overload your mind, sufficient for the day. In other words, don't carry any more goals than for your next waking period. If you've got something to achieve next week, you don't want to set it as a goal in your mind. Or guess what? You'll go to bed tonight and your mind will be going, oh yeah, next week we have to do this. Well, let me see. We could do this. We could. This. Here are all the options. And the mind runs and runs. And people say, I don't know why my goal my mind won't stop. Well, cancel the goal. Remove it. It's interesting that When you look at the forgiveness process in Aramaic, the core of the forgiveness process is the canceling of a goal and therefore the reducing of stress. Because when you cancel a goal, whatever the mind is trying to achieve there collapses. So you only frame and set goals for the day in front of you not for tomorrow he says don't take be concerned about tomorrow or next week or next month or next year or 10 years well gee michael how am i going to go what direction my life is going to go well you've got a planner you're going to plan the next 10 20 50 100 200 500 years please plan it but don't frame or set goals actually let's put that in two places Don't frame goals until the night before and don't set them until the morning of the day that you're going to achieve that goal, that you're going to work on completing that goal. And if nighttime comes and you haven't had the opportunity to complete it, then remove it from your mind or your mind will be rolling, 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 trying to figure out a way to get that goal accomplished. Now, you recall we've we've offered the Harvard research that says that in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells are firing, they can measure approximately 10,000 units of electrical activity in the brain. Then in that time frame, the max amount of data that goes into conscious awareness is nine bits, a little tiny, tiny piece of information compared to all that's going on in the mind. So if there's all that information firing in the mind... Where does the goal come in? The goals you tell your mind to achieve become the drivers that cause your mind to output whatever its guidance is for you. Literally, it drives perception. And if perception is pained, that is based in some form of hostility or fear then you better collapse that perception and look at what's going on under, underneath the surface and change it. How do you collapse perception? You cancel the goal that's driving it. And when that thing collapses, it collapses in on itself. A good visual of that, not a happy uh, event, but you might remember pretty much everybody saw maybe too many times the 9-11 towers come down. You'll remember those huge towers collapsed at free-fall speed into their own footprint. Now, mechanically, that's an absolute impossibility, but that's another topic. We're not going to get into that. But think about how those towers fell into their own footprint and recognize that a perceptual construct in your mind is like that tower, and if you know how to collapse it, it's going to collapse into its own footprint. And when it does pardon me, you've got access to the underlying dynamic of the mind, the unconscious part of the mind, where that perceptual construct is rooted. You might remember the the lesson in The Course in Miracles. It says, you may wonder why you must look upon your hatred and realize its full extent. And then it goes on to say, because these things don't stand on their own. And so when you know how to collapse your perceptual constructs and they collapse into themselves, you've now got access to the unconscious part of your own mind. And with that kind of access, you get to clean it up. That's the power of forgiveness. And it all relates to stress. So stress is a wonderful friend, an awesome thing to have, because it is behind all behavior. You know, if you're sitting on a tack and you had no stress, there would be no goal to get up off the tack. And sooner or later, there'd be an infection and you'd be in trouble. If you didn't have the stress of thirst and set a goal to quench that thirst to get some water, then you'd dehydrate. So goals are wondrous things, but only frame and set them in the immediate time frame in which you're going to achieve those goals. And everything else, rather than making it a goal, put it in your planner. You know, I want to build a house. I don't have a goal to build a house. I have a plan to build a house. Today, I can order. talk to the architect and get the blueprint started. So I'd have a goal to contact the architect, explain what we're going to do, and get the blueprint started. But I wouldn't set a goal to go out and buy the nails with which to put the boards together. I wouldn't go out and order the concrete. I wouldn't order the roofing materials. I wouldn't order the insulation. Those things will all come in their own time, in order. And sadly, because that piece of teaching was removed, from the teachings of Yeshua, most people are overstressed most of the time, and most of the stress they're experiencing is not productive. It's useless. Because if I've got a plan for something six months from now, and I set a goal to accomplish it, there's nothing I can do about accomplishing that until six months from now. So I don't need that stress you know, laying around in my mind for six months causing my mind to churn and churn and churn and stir up thoughts that are useless because I can't be, act on them today. So sufficient for the day are the evils thereof is just frame and set your goals just for the next waking period and the next day do it again and the next day do it again and you will have the kind of stresses that you need that are useful to you that will keep your body in a... Uh, a settled, quiet state, rather than, oh, I've got the next year on my shoulders, I've only got the next eight waking hours. If you're interested in getting more information about that, you can go to the website, and the name of the worksheet for that Getting the Stress You Need video is the Mind Goal Management Sheet. So you might look up that mind goal management sheet. It explains the whole process of stress, and then there's a step-by-step. Here's how you frame goals, not set them, but frame them so that you can get feedback on them, and then in the appropriate time frame, set in place the stresses that you need to produce the result and carry on stress-free. So I hope that's a useful uh, chunk of information for you. And if it arouses any questions or needs any clarification, our call-in number, if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you in our control panel, is 563-999-3581. 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you'll be listening to the show. And then, if you have a question, all you do is push 1, that will raise a hand in the control panel. Jeannie will know you want to speak to us, and she'll introduce you by your area code. So if you're out there in listener land, what's on your mind? How can we support you? Push one, let's have a and conversation have a about head. it. Awesome. Let's say hello.
0: It's Cecilia, area code 480. You're on the air.
5: Can you hear me okay?
4: You're live and clear, young lady. How are you? Oh, good.
0: I'm good and interesting,
5: uh, Lee. I want I'm doing this intensive, 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 intensive and, and it's good because there's not been a lot of time since I've had all your work and all that kind of stuff that I ever wanted to do anything. So right. so um so I got out getting the stress you need last night or actually while well, I was painting the other day yesterday. But it's hard to concentrate when I'm doing two things. So so I watched it again this morning what I got out of it this morning was even though I've seen it on the video, how you take that circle and put a a triangle for a nose on it. And then you dissect the parts of the brain as being the frontal lobes as being uh, intention and in the back of the brain being um,
0: you can say it.
4: Perception.
5: Um, yeah. Um, is that, when you put the filters in there, in, in the in the intention and in, in the in in the perception, and how fear is is a demon that needs to be cast out, and that we're here to create heaven on earth, even though you didn't say that in that video, um, and that it's just all my mind's just finally going, wow. Okay, um, got it. I'm, yeah, I'm getting brain cells for this. This finally awesome. So it's interesting though. Um, when the worksheet, I w- I would love that on the worksheet, but I'll have a a sketch of it for myself for the worksheet to remind myself that fear is a demon to be cast out and and um, fear and hostility uh, right. keep my mind set. Can you give more examples on how to keep uh Rachma set and Kuva set in the mind more tools to make it more specific for those like me or is well, that specific
4: Well, you've got you've got a starting point and you know the whole understanding of that filter system as you notice, takes time to build the brain cells. And then literally every other tool correlates. Like, for instance, if hostility comes up, then rachma, love over intentions, Kuba, love over perceptions, tends to collapse. So what am I going to do? Well, that's the point where I'm going to say there's something I need to forgive here. So then I'm going to pull out the forgiveness worksheet and and work through that. And wow, I'm feeling so overstressed that you know I just I I feel nothing but stress and strain. And oh, so now what do I want to do? I want to look at what are my goals? What do I need to clean up? I need to start to manage my mind. And especially probably one of the most important things. And we, we've got a culture that set goals, set goals, set goals, set goals, and people don't realize how much stress they're creating. And the major feature, the major tool that they need to use is the canceling of goals. Cancel, cancel, cancel every goal that drives my mind to distraction about something that, gee, I need to do three weeks from now. Get rid of that goal so my mind quiets down there. And, and when my mind quiets down, I have more of my resources back. So every tool that we're talking about ties into the Mind Goal Management Sheet. It's all, it all fits. So it, it, it's like the if you look at each of the workshops and each of the worksheets, they're downs of pieces of a puzzle. You know, the, the whole body of work that we're doing here started out with one worksheet and that was forgiveness and the why is this happening to me again workshop that was like the starting point and out of that these other workshops came through it's like well now that we know that forgiveness is the key what am i going to do about my stresses what am i going to do about relationships what am i going to do about communication you know what am i going to do about my purpose and each of those becomes another tool another piece in the whole puzzle of bringing this mind into alignment with truth and making of it a willing cooperative servant that carries my life forward rather than uh, a misprogrammed uh, device that I need to struggle with. So if you start thinking in terms of applying every tool that you've learned over the years with this work, then you'll see that they're all part of one big puzzle. Does that fit? Does that make sense of where your question's going? Yes. Yeah. Yes,
5: yeah, they all tie in together. They're not separate entities without a connection. Yeah.
4: Exactly. And, you know, I might, in order, like you'll notice in the uh, mind goal management sheet, one down at the bottom where the checkoff is, is this in alignment with my primary and secondary purpose? Well, gee, I need to start looking at what my purpose is. I need to be conscious of my purpose. I mean, there might be, uh, the way I relate to it is that when you're unconscious about how goals affect the mind, the tendency for most people is to do all kinds of things that really have nothing to do with their lives. And they really waste a lot of information, or pardon me, a lot of energy. And so, Once you get a picture of what your purpose is, there are things that maybe you'd like to or enjoy doing, but they bear no resemblance or no relationship, I should say, with your life purpose, so you throw them away and you don't do them anymore. And and the opposite is there are things that maybe you don't even like to do or you don't want to do, but you realize that they're required for you to fulfill your purpose, so you do them anyway. That was a a big shift and a big switch for me, and so certain things you throw away that are distractions, even though you might enjoy them, and other things that you've thrown away, say, well, this is part of what I have to do to fulfill my purpose, so I'm going to do this, and so it's good to have a, a picture of what your primary and secondary purposes are. Primary being the universal experience, if you look at that workshop, Purpose, Personal Power and Commitment, my offering is the purpose of every human being on the planet is to strengthen their awareness of themselves as love and develop that spiritual body so that it is viable and functional in all circumstances. So realizing who we are as love and cultivating our relationship with ourselves as love is a big part of the purpose. And that's primary. That's the same for every person on the planet. And then we each have our unique purposes, which is what we refer to as the secondary purpose. And in that purpose, personal power, and commitment, we go through both of those. And the secondary is, what's the unique way that I'm here to achieve what we're all here to achieve, So, you know, the person who enjoys writing, their secondary purpose is to write. And somebody else might like, you know, I can't even stand sitting in front of the computer. I want to get out there and, you know, get in the garden. So recognizing what your secondary purpose is and then bringing them into alignment with your goals, like that's why that workshop, Purpose, Personal Power, and Commitment, is is titled the way it is, that when I'm in alignment with my purpose, that's the key to having personal power, where some people are, you know, their energies off over here and over there and over there, flitting around all over the place, and no focal point to focalize and center their power. Once you get clear on your primary and secondary purpose, then zing, there's a whole different clarity and a whole different level of ability to achieve what your purpose is. So, each of those things again, is part of the whole
5: yes and you can you can work on this stuff forever, which is great I mean
4: it know, is definitely a lifetime of work,
5: yes, it is Can I ask you about this book? Have you ever heard of it? It's for people who've been who have uh I would call it a culture has it but there were people that were zeroed out having attention-deficient disorder. And there is actually a cure for chronic the chronic disability that has become the norm in modern life. I'm reading the top of the book. It's called The Attention right. Revolution, Unlocking the Power of the Focused Mind. Um, initial B, Allen, A-L-A-N, Wallace, W-A-L-L-A-C-E-P-H-D. I'm not sure I should read this or if this is going to take me away from, well, I, found, I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I was referred to it by the, uh, and I don't know if these terms are going to sound really bizarre to some of you people, but it did to me at first, but I've known them for a long time, so I'm, I just accept it. He's the high priest. He's also a high priestess. Of the Nazarene esteemed Church of Christ, and he recommended that to a lot of his followers.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: He's got a he's got a bookstore in a um, lighthouse in Oregon, and it's just the most favorite book that goes off the shelf all the time. And okay, right. so I just I just thought I'll I'll find it because if he said it. You can create anything you want, but if you don't have attention and keep your focus on it, you will never create it
4: in our well to me life, that sounds yeah. go ahead go ahead
5: oh and, you know, and our purpose is to be to be not not do uh in bliss you know and be blissful and joyful and loving and happy, yeah. but if you can't live focus as a human on, being, yeah, huh.
1: Maybe it's a human being.
5: But but he said you need the power of focus to do that. And this book will help a lot. He said that's the book that leaves this bookstore the most. So I don't know what your thoughts are on anything like that. Because I don't, like you said, with uh, talking about goals and then you're doing something that doesn't take you to your goal (laughs) or doing things that... um, Whatever the opposite of what you said was, um, whatever the opposite of doing things that aren't conducive or doing things that are, con- I don't know. Forget it. Okay. Do you have anything to say on anything I share well, about that book? Uh,
4: yeah. Or my take would be, yeah. My take would be that the the reason why people have what they call attention deficit disorder, I think the primary reason, is because they're in a hyper-aware mode and hyper-protective because as children they were blindsided by people in their environment. And so it's difficult for someone who thinks, I might get punched upside of my head. If I get really focused here and work on this project, because as a kid, every time I would be sitting and playing or doing whatever it was I was doing, and, you know, dad came in drunk and I got smashed in the head. So now, you know, I'm looking every two minutes to make sure dad isn't sneaking up behind me ready to smash me in the head. And sadly, that's just too common a a happening in our culture. So the forgiveness of the the issues behind having to be hypervigilant I think is urgent and that to me would be would tie in with this thing of being able to focus once I'm not in I have to defend and protect myself so I have to keep looking 360 degrees around me to be safe once I realize that I'm safe and I've cleaned that part up in my mind now I can be totally focused and produce those results so well, it sounds I like, you know, I don't example. know what solutions he offers. Say again?
5: I don't either. He was he studied with uh, the Dalai Lama, the author, and he, he's a physicist, and he's uh, whatever else, whatever, a theologian maybe. I'm not sure about that, but he did study and he taught it and uh, and taught meditation and all that. And I've done meditation and I've done a lot of things. And, yeah, I, I, I can if I choose to. Get it? Spend half the day meditating. I mean, two times during the day, and I eventually can get into the habit of quieting my mind. However, I don't like to live like that. I mean, I I have I enjoy life too, and and right. and and it's not and it's not working anymore anyway. When I anyway that I meditate to get to that level, and um I think there's more to life than that. And then, anyway, he combines all of his stuff. However, when you're talking about this, I uh, had a voice coach in Los Angeles, and I didn't study with him for long because he didn't like my style of music. And he said, um, "I don't know. He just whatever. I I think whatever. I don't think anything. Okay. So anyway, so so he did say that uh, that i wrote I wrote something to him to tell him I was interested and in, and that I struggled my whole life and and I struggled with this i i don't I'm not trying to emphasize struggle when I wrote it. I was not conscious that I was writing it that much but he he wrote me a letter back and he said uh, the the work he does is called The Sound of Your Soul, and that really inspired me because no one else touches your soul with music when they teach that I know of that I've ever gotten in, involved with anyway and right. he commented about he commented about back about my letter and said I would love to help you find the sound of your voice however did you know that everything you write about it suffer 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 you know you, you suffer you know you're suffering you, you have suffering 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 and you know I kind of felt kind of a weird feeling like I didn't notice that and am I Is this I'm in. I feel so vulnerable that I'm even being, this is opening up for me that, you know, from what he's saying. And he did say that I, as a matter of fact, I was going to do a worksheet on this. Something that he said to me, and I know I have it right down in my face here, uh, but he did say, you're closed down to yourself. I don't have it directly in front of me. But I am closed off from myself because I don't want to be vulnerable. Um, here it is. So he said, um, here it is. He said, I make choice. I have to make a choice not to guard myself because he, he sensed that everywhere from me and, and, and not feel. That's why I I made the choice to guard myself, okay? To not feel and not be vulnerable and be closed. That's how I felt protected. But I was even doing it from myself, okay? So that must be all the carbon-based memory in myself that I was trying to guard myself against.
4: Um, well, that sounds says, like what I was talking so- about being hypervigilant.
5: Yeah, and there's and where the forgiveness
4: my... process comes in to, yeah, to yeah. remove the goals behind hypervigilant from your mind and heal the parts that live in fear. Cast that demon out. You know, perfect love yeah. casts out fear. Get rid of fear as a uh, a resident energy in your mind. Okay. Then focus becomes natural. You set a goal and bingo, you just you're able to just totally lock in on that and you know to the point where nothing else matters.
5: Can you elaborate on what was the first part of it, uh, doing uh, uh, the things that, uh, the, the the goals that make me feel vulnerable, or what was it?
4: Yeah, so I can start, start canceling the goals that have to do with not being safe, having to protect yourself,
5: uh-huh. having to oh, look I out
4: see. for dangers in your environment.
5: Oh, I see, yeah. Yeah, I never canceled them because you know no one ever got to, to the point to ever go. There's something you you need to do is cancel those instead. Uh, when I was younger, and uh, in getting uh, four-point averages in classical music and jazz, okay, I had a I had a psychiatrist say you were born with attention deficient, deficient disorder and you'll die with it. And so I yeah, well, in thanks a lot, pal. Yeah, I took the Ritalin for about a week or two. I said I can't be on this. I'm already hyper, and this stuff takes me like I feel like I'm on speed, and I can't stand myself right now. How smart
4: said, it is, speed.
5: And she said, if you don't do it the way I tell you to do it, you're not gonna. I'm not gonna keep you. And I said, okay, bye. <laughs> so I, yeah,
4: thank and you. Then I was, <laughs> thank you. <laughs>
5: yeah, and then I went to uh, some – at the school there, I studied classical music, and her her colleague in the same office building was teaching, and I ran into him in the hallway, and he said, "How are you doing?" With oh, I forgot her name or anything, but and and I said, "Well, I left her because she she didn't want to work with me if I didn't take the riddle in, and I felt terrible on it. I felt I felt horrible." And he said, "Oh, that's her issue." And I just I just thought, "Okay, good because." I mean, I'm not, you know and and so, you know, it was a short little brief walk but I guess she has issues that she's projecting or something. I don't know what he meant by that and I don't it doesn't matter but
4: and I and thought, virtually and everyone does. I went
5: to a program for four years for jazz and I was his best jazz student he ever had in his entire life. He he was the uh trumpet player for the backing up Sarah Vaughn. he was in all of the all the big bands and everything. My thing is, though, I really wasn't into big band stuff and stuff, and so I stayed with him four years, and he loved everything I did, and he, he, he we composed music together and everything, and he, cool. he, I have his letters sitting in front of my piano because he's, he's, he knew my background for some reason without even me talking about it and said, let's do something. Let's record your music, have the band play it, and then invite your parents. <laughs> because he knew I had got no support from them, and so right,
2: right. and
5: and so they came, and um, and he's so happy because, you know, he's happy with everything I did, but they weren't Question. happy at all. Go ahead.
4: Question: Have you canceled sure. your need for your parents' support yet?
5: Uh, no, but I'll I'll make that a priority.
4: That's a big one. That'll be a big one.
5: Yeah, it is, isn't it, though?
4: That that may be, may well be your 77 times 70 worksheet issue.
5: Well, it is, because I think I, I shared with you one time that, you know, I was so desperate for my mom's love all the time. that that was seriously hypervigilant. And being around my dad and everything was just kind of icky, you know. So so I just um, tried to be whoever anybody wanted me to be, the chameleon and everything, and it still didn't work. Right. And I got into a car accident where I went through the front window, and in the t-top window crashed down on my face and tore half my face off. And uh, I called my, I called my mom at three in the morning because I thought she loved me then, right? I you know love is a not a verb. Okay, now I know that. And I think all these things subconsciously was trying to get her love. And I called her, and she she said, "What do you want?" And I said, "Mom, I'm in the hospital." I have my, have my face tore off from an accident. You know what time it is? It's 3 o'clock in the morning. Clack. And you know, I looked like a mummy for a long time with my face uh, wrapped up. She didn't say Are you word. breathing
4: right now? Are you breathing? No, I,
5: I, no I guess I never really dealt oh. with the stuff. Uh,
4: yeah, so slow down a little bit. Allow yourself to just take a couple of deep breaths and be with that. And what the feelings were around that?
2: I'll never get
5: love from her. But I still didn't Mm. stop because when she died, I was in Phoenix and I flew to Cincinnati. My siblings didn't want me to sit with them and everything like that. And so I went up to the coffin and she wasn't moving or anything or saying anything to me. So I thought she was dead. I ran into the bathroom. And uh, just because, well, I said to myself, "Breathe." Well, now she'll never love me. And even though I know
3: not, it's not, it's not,
1: it's not,
3: a, it's not a verb. I mean, it's not a verb. Not, nobody can love somebody. I learned that from you. It's, uh, so it's still, I guess, I never canceled the goal. Or something.
4: Breathe. Go into it. <laughs>
3: Because I'm surprised at the way I'm feeling right now.
4: Yeah. Let I thought, your throat I, open. thought he worked through everything. Well, and and you have worked through layers of it, and here's a new layer. Okay. And it's safe to breathe. Let yourself just fully breathe into that and feel what is you're feeling and let yourself be conscious of the thoughts that are there.
2: Okay. Maybe I'm running in hyper religion because I never
5: canceled that goal or something consciously.
4: Yeah. <sighs> Breathing. <in time. laughs> this is really big, core stuff.
3: Anybody that meets me goes, that, that doesn't know me, goes, you, you seem really, really uncomfortable
5: in your body. You know, and I don't like hearing that. I really don't like hearing that because I think I've worked on a lot of things, and but I think I'm putting the icing without the cake. You know, I put the icing on, which is the 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 um what do you call it the um the 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 fakeness. Breathe. I guess. Fake or something
1: Breathe. Okay. <sighs>
5: and everybody wants to misdiagnose it, but, you know, this is all hallucination, right? It is, isn't it? Because because it's well, all carbon-based memory, right?
4: Yeah, the thing to get is, you know, while this may be a hallucination, I need to let myself <laughs> drop into what's underneath it and rid myself of that energy, or my mind will keep going back to that, variation on the theme and I'll find person after person to play it out with whereas as you allow yourself to drop in and let oh, go of those yeah. goals you get right What's to the, the core thought disorder <laughs> and throw it out
5: this particular case would even be to have had my mom's love
4: sounds like it yeah sounds like love approval attention anything no. <laughs> So So even though your mom's no longer in her body, there are important goals for you to cancel and allow yourself to breathe into and let those energetic patterns go.
5: I think that's more important than reading this book called Attention, uh, whatever it was called, Revolution, Unlocking the Power of the Focus Mind.
4: You You just went right to the core.
5: Yeah.
4: <laughs> right to the yeah. core. Nice piece of work. Yeah,
5: yeah. Because I'm in a state hyper uh, arousal state a, a lot, but I don't even know it. That I think that it's normal. That I don't even share myself with most people. My friends that's coming from. Uh, she lived in LA, and I was going to move out there with her, um, um, but I ended up living in Phoenix. Is um, and I haven't seen her since we. Were, I was in my twenties and. You know, uh and she absolutely is the safest person in the world to be around. And I'm so happy she's coming. But I don't go mm. out and try to be with people. You know? I just don't. And that's probably because all these core issues that I never uh cancelled.
2: Whatever it
4: is. Yeah. So so I'd focus in and work on these goals around mom and if she's coming to visit perhaps she'd just mom, be there as girl, the space
3: yeah
5: my my girlfriend yeah, that's what i'm
4: saying your girlfriend if she's coming to yeah, visit <laughs> that she could just be there as the space to to process through these uh, energetic dynamics
5: do you know when you continually don't get love and you're a kid you were supposed to get it you were supposed to be held you were supposed to be all this stuff and and you didn't as a matter of fact, I want your opinion on something. If you have time, or I can ask you another time. My son-in-law. It. Okay, so I have a dog that barks all the time, and I believe he's just comes from a lot of trauma. I hold him; he's sweet as can be. And my daughter works at a seventy-six dog daycare, so she doesn't like to be around it because she's around it all day. I'm not. I'm. I don't. i not i I'm okay with that. Okay. So I could go down to her house. So, but my son-in-law goes. Do you know? My mom believed in a Dr. Spock thing that when I cried, she never picked me up and never ever. Okay, she didn't like crying. She yelled if I cried, whatever. And and so, and he his theory is you don't pick them up, you let them cry it out. So she believed that in that. Okay, she admitted that to right. me, and 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 so I I don't believe in that because I saw a video one time ten years ago or something on YouTube about. You're helping regulate a baby's a baby's uh, The m- whole nervous, nervous system. System, yeah. So, what yeah. are your thoughts on? Does it really do that? And, and, and when you don't comfort someone crying hysterically because they're helpless to meet their own needs at that age, do you? What do you? If, do you? Do you agree that you need to to not to not comfort them, or do you believe that they? what do
4: you believe well if we recognize that the human being is love and that the parent is love the connectedness for the child is support for life itself I think this some of the saddest teaching that's ever gone out to the world of parents is Leave your child to cry it out. I think that's just a an insane and perhaps bordering on criminal piece of advice. Thank you. my take.
5: Because I experienced it, and I was desperately never grew up. I had a shrink that said, "Do you know you're a child in a woman's body?" And I never heard that before. But that was when I was 21. And I'll tell you what I know why. My child just is looking for it and looking for it and looking for it, and she knows she's not going to get it because she never got it. So, you know, I try to give it to her myself, and I do a, I do a good job. Of it. But anyway. So,
4: do you remember the love exchange exercise from the that intensive you did a few years back?
5: Um, I don't know, Michael, if I did that intensive, but I do have okay. a video of of it. It's in the... uh getting the stress you need video isn't
4: it yeah where you I look at each so.
5: other one's light one's love
4: and right that's right? it oh, I
5: was so i would that suggest things. that yes, yeah i
4: did it. i'm starting yeah here. i'd suggest you, you do some mirror thing. work with yourself do that with yourself and and as you're doing it you know get in, in front of a mirror where you can see the upper part of your body at least and as you do that reach your hand out to the mirror touching mm-hmm. your own heart the reflection of your heart and make that heart connection and really strengthen that functioning from that space of connected love. And as you look into your own eyes, allow yourself to just process every thought that comes and free yourself of, trauma that's going to surface as you do that the the stronger you're able to bring love present to that the deeper you're going to go in processing through in releasing physiologically releasing the energetic patterns of that so I would say that would be really powerful for you to do is just standing in front of the mirror and doing that love exchange and do it you know on a regular basis for some extended period of time to let those layers process out and move through
5: so when I saw it on your video yesterday, which I've known about it, but
4: put it away for decades, and, yeah, you know, it
5: comes out, and then you're like, oh, yeah, I remember sort of this. And I looked in the mirror, and I thought, well, what can I focus on? This was yesterday. Well, what can I focus on? I don't feel the love exchange for me looking at myself in the mirror. What can I think of that generates love in me? Of course, looking at my dogs being taken care of We're you know, is pretty well and they're happy and they're running around the two acres and this is, this is the greatest thing in the world my eyes see right and so i go well look at yourself like you look at when you're looking at your dogs running around the two acres out in the backyard i don't know if i can transform that Trans- okay because i don't really remember know the what idea that love looks like okay usually yeah. hopefully so have the a idea parent. is
4: to the idea is to get the mind to quiet And allow the space of being to come forward one of the other things I remember was recently in a conversation your whole demeanor your voice your energy shifted into my experience was a deeper place of love when you mentioned your daughter and so you might go back to the first time you remember holding your daughter that's that's the one I use that I find most powerful and so you might allow yourself to be in that, I will go back. Go to with that, that, day. that love that and and pra- practice, yeah, and practice, perhaps doing the love exchange physically with your daughter.
5: Oh, if she'll let me. Yeah. I don't know. No. Okay. I'll, can I say? Chances are.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to make it. Sound Chances fun. are. Chances are, and and the show's going to cut off any second, so we'll just go right through. Chances are that, you know, there was some of that desire from her for love that she had difficulty getting from you. That's
3: probably probably a
4: generational pattern. So some of that may move through and work. You may have to work through it, but hey, what an opportunity.
5: Sure, sure. Do I help her if it comes up in her?
4: Be the the space.
5: yeah but she doesn't yeah.
2: have to do
5: work oh. she's, she's
4: been, okay. yeah maybe just right. sitting holding right. the space, just just looking in each other's eyes and bring that love present,
5: yeah, yeah, yeah,
4: you know, maybe right. you know it could be as simple as a request of honey, would you sit down and just allow me to just hold the space and extend love to you would you would you let me do that and allow yourself to reach out and go for it?
5: I do it without telling her that I'm doing it, and she. And then I I rub her back and I rub her shoulders and I, and then I give her a cute little hug, you know, and a kiss on the cheek when she leaves, or just you know, and we. I always say we love you, Michelle. We love you, you know. Awesome. And uh, and I can tell she's so thirsty for it. It's unbelievable. Okay, is that me, or is that her? It's both of us.
4: Okay. Yes, (laughs) yes would be the answer.
5: Yeah. Go okay, for it, girl.
4: You. Go for it. You're thank right you. on track. All right. Thanks. All right. Blessings. All right. Holding the space. All right. Lots of love, everybody. Appreciate you joining us. Create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Bye-bye.